We have a special privilege today. We're going to hear from a, uh, a guest speaker. And uh, one of my convictions in creating and really uh, planting one chapel is making sure that we are a group of people that are not out here on our own, alone, doing something by ourselves. That we are actually part of a family. Certainly, we are becoming a family. We are working together. Uh, the engine of the Holy Spirit is working among us, and we're encouraging one another. We're challenging one another. We're living together in community. But it is so important for us to be under authority as a family. And we have extended family. We're not out here by ourselves. We have others who are interested in our welfare. We have others who are interested in our success and who are thinking about us and praying about us. And some of you don't know who those people are because you're new to one chapel. And frankly, our church is brand new. We're only nine months old. Nine months old, just about nine months. And so it's my conviction that I as a pastor need to be a man who is under authority. I need to be willing to submit my own leadership to someone else's leadership. I don't think anybody should go to a church where the senior pastor or the people in charge don't answer to somebody. I don't think it's safe. I don't think it's the way the scriptures teach it. And, and I, I believe that relational authority is what the scripture teaches us. Authority that can give us guidance. It won't necessarily be governmental about how the affairs of the church are directed here. But they're going to come and look in from time to time. And they're going to encourage us. And they're going to say, great job, way to go. And so that's my commitment this year during the first year of One Chapel's life. To bring every overseer, and that's what we're calling them. They're essentially external elders, and they come in, and they share life with us. They're part of our extended family. They look in and see how we're doing. They come in and say, you're doing great. Keep going. And, uh, and they just give us an encouraging word. And we have one of those overseers here today, and his name is Tom Lane. He's a pastor from Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas, which is just outside of Dallas, about three and a half mi uh, uh, hours right up the road here. And Gateway Church, if you haven't heard of it, it is a wonderful, beautiful body of believers. It is huge. I think they're running about 16,000 on the weekend, and they've just built an incredibly huge building. And it's amazing uh, what God is doing in that location to minister not only to those people there uh, in South Lake or in Dallas, but across the nation. And the pastor of that church, his name is uh, Pastor Robert Morris. And so it's such a blessing. They've invested in us as one chapel financially. And so Pastor Tom Lane is the executive senior pastor. He essentially runs everything. And so he, his, he and his wife, Jan, are here with us this weekend. We had lunch with them yesterday. And it's just so wonderful to have people here who love you and are listening to what's going on and encouraging us in what Jesus is doing. So I want you to embrace them. I want you to hear from them. Uh, Tom exudes fatherhood better than anybody, really, that I know besides my own dad and I love <laughs> I love the fact that there's um, this thing where he, he has a family vision he's raised four kids of his own and he's really uh, a, f a father figure to us at one chapel and so I want you to embrace him I want you to welcome him everybody give a huge one chapel welcome to pastor Tom Lane well good morning uh, Ross mentioned that my wife is here, and before I do anything, I want you to meet her. So, honey, would you stand up? This is my wife, Jan. Been my girlfriend for 40 years plus. 
mother of four great kids and uh, the grandmother to now nine grandchildren. So pretty cool. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to be with you today. And I, I want to say uh, our life was really blessed a number of years ago, several years ago, three or four, I guess, when uh, Ross and Amy became more than people who I knew by reputation, but I actually got to know. And I, I love them dearly. I know you do too. And I'm honored to be able to be a, a part in some way of what God is doing in this place. They are, uh, I respect any person who's willing to put it all in. And that's what they've, they've done. They've, they've put it all on the line to come here believing this is what God said. And uh, look what's resulting. It's, it's an amazing thing. And so uh, I, I commend the work of God and you too. I love you very much. Well, uh, I just got to say something. You know, when Gateway started, we, we've been actually in five different uh, facilities. In our, we're just 11 years old. And our first facility was at uh, the DFW Grapevine. We were in a hotel, and we were there for a week or two, and it was too expensive. So then we went to the Dollar Theater. And let me tell you, this is awesome compared to the Dollar Theater. Not one time has my foot stuck to the floor here, but it did every time there. Uh, and then we, we went to a, a church that was actually, they met on Sunday mornings and we got to use it on, on uh, Saturday night. And we had to come in and tear down, you know, set up and tear down uh, like you would here um, for our needs and then put it back for what met their needs. And we were there for about a year and a half. And then we went to a an old church building, uh, a building that had been a church that had been converted to a day daycare center. Uh, it was called World of Learning. And so during the week, it was the, it took care of kids. It was a daycare. And then on the weekends, we came in and we got to hold church there. And so one uh, Sunday, Robert is one of his great uh, faux pas. You know, every pastor has faux pas, right? No. <laughs> well... So he was, he was casting vision to tell people that this is not going to be the final place. We, we're going to a, a, another place. You know, this isn't going to be the final place. And uh, there, there's funny smells in this place. And, and I arrive, he said, I arrive every, every Sunday. I arrive early and I go to the bathrooms and that smell you smell is me. And then it dawned on him what he had said. And he went, I mean, I spray the place with the good smelling stuff so it doesn't smell like it smells during the week. So anyway, you, this won't be the final place, this is, but this is a great place to begin. And uh, a great foundation is being laid as you move forward in God. So I just, I commend you. And I'm, I'm excited to, to have a part. I, I, I didn't do this at the, the 9 o'clock service, but I, I, I feel I want to do this. And that is, I make a commitment to you, even as we make a commitment to, to Ross and Amy, and that is, that is this. As an overseer, I, I want to be involved enough in their life so that I do know what's going on. So I know that their marriage is healthy and, and good. So that I know that their kids are well cared for and that they're, they're having an impact in a positive way uh, for you. I don't want to be heavy handed. I don't think that's uh, at all. And I just totally agree with what he said. But I commit to you 
to be a part of God's work in this place and to celebrate what he does among you. I'm already excited for what I see. It's a great thing. If you brought your Bible this morning, why don't you turn there uh, to Genesis chapter 28 and Exodus chapter 5. And I, I want to talk to you about something that I think is really important. I think it's, it's important to us individually and it's important uh, to you as a body where you are in your development. I, I, I have this, uh, this supposition this morning. I believe everybody in this room wants to invest their life in something that, ha that will matter, something important, something significant. And we, you may be thinking that uh, in, in the context of your work or uh, maybe it's uh, in the context of a relationship or relationships. Uh, what I want to talk to you about today, though, is building a dynasty, uh, a family dynasty. Now, uh, when, when I think about dynasty, I, I'm instantly, I mean, you know, history, we could, we could talk about historical dynasties like the Ming dynasty and stuff like that, or we could talk about uh, dynasties that are a, a part of sports franchises, like, uh, you know, when I grew up, the, the Boston Celtics were a dynasty, uh, the, the New York Yankees, a baseball dynasty, uh, how about them Cowboys? They've, they've come and gone in dynasties. Uh, but there's, there's businesses that have established or, or are thought of as uh, a dynasty. And then there's families like the Kennedy family as a dynasty. Or from a spiritual perspective, it might be the Grahams. Uh, Billy Graham and his family have, have taken something and generationally imparted it uh, over uh, multiple generations in their love and service for God. Here's, here's, what, I, here's what I think. Here's what I, I feel. Most people who have been involved in something significant, something impacting, something eternal, they've, they've done something great. At the time they're doing it, they don't realize that it's great. They're, they're doing it kind of one day at a time, they're living their life, and they don't realize until sometime later, oftentimes, uh, maybe it's not even during their lifetime, somebody else has to recognize the impact of it. And when, when I think of a dynasty, that's partly what I think of. You, in the middle of it, you're not really understanding the full significance of what you're doing, the impact of what you have done. It will be understood only in some level of historical context. Uh, but I, I will say this. Here's my, my personal, Jan's and mine, our personal goal, life goal. We want to build a heritage of godliness in our lives and in our children so that it passes from our, from our lives to our children and from our children to our grandchildren and from our grandchildren to our great-grandchildren. That would be the greatest investment that any one of us in this room could make today. If, if you say, well, I've got some investments and I hope they really pay off because I'm planning for my retirement, can I just tell you? It'd be better than the best investment you could make. 
better than any return on investment, uh, on dollar return on investment that you could have today. If we can with certainty move the values that we have in God from one generation to the next generation. Let me just tell you what, how the Bible, how the dictionary defines a dynasty. It's a distinguished success by a family or a group over a long period, over multiple generations. It is a family or a group that sustains power and wealth over several generations. It, a dynasty is something that has generational impact. And so um, you might say, well, does the Bible, I mean, does, does that really matter to God? I think God is all about generational impact. I think God's all about the impartation in such a way that we have, we build and have an impact related to a dynasty. So if you're there in Genesis 28, let me, let me lay a foundation uh, for this passage. Uh, you remember um, Jacob stole Esau's birthright. And Esau was upset and uh, decided that as soon as uh, his dad died, as soon as Isaac died, that he was going to kill Jacob. And his mom finds out and says, you need to go to Laban's house. And so she and Isaac send him off to Laban's house under the guise of looking for a godly wife. Okay? And this is where we pick it, pick it up. Jacob is on his way. And in verse 10, it says, he went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he took, uh, so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at, at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and it touched it, it, its top, reached to heaven, uh, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Now we know Abraham was his grandfather. Isaac was his father. So I'm, I'm the God of your grandfather and your father, and the land on which, uh, which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also on your descendants, shall, also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread about uh, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I think what we're reading about here is something that every one of us need to experience. There was a, a, a work that had been done in Abraham's life, and Abraham sought to impart his faith to Isaac, and Isaac was, had sought to impart his faith to Jacob. But even when we as parents, as leaders, seek to impart that, it comes down to a personal encounter with God. Every generation has to have their own encounter with God. Even though there's a promise, even though there's been a, a work of impartation, every generation has to, has to hear God's voice and receive God's promise for their own. So this was an encounter. It was an encounter that uh, Jacob needed to have with God. He had the heritage. He, he had been given the, the input, but he had to have the encounter. And, and so God meets him in that place. Every generation needs a God encounter. If you haven't had that, 
If you're a parent and you're seeking to impart these things to your kids, I just want to encourage you to look for that God moment when God, there's a, a crisis created so that God can insert himself uh, into their lives. There's three things that are, are reflections of what I believe are a godly dynasty. Uh, first is that it's, it, it is a replicable pattern. I, I want to impart to my kids, I want my kids to grab my values and hold on to my values. I want to replicate my values in their life. I want to make them disciples. I'm, I don't want them to be just good Americans, you know, um, nice people. I want them to be lovers of God and committed to his service. It, it has to be a replicable pattern. The second thing is it has to, be, has to have a scalable model. It has to be able to pass from one generation to the next generation uh, in its work. And the way that you build a scalable model is with a healthy family. In fact, the reason I think this has impact not only for the church as well as for families is the, the family is the foundation of everything. It's the foundation of society. It's the foundation of the church. And as the family goes, so goes the church. As the family goes, so goes society. We, we, have, uh, we have some family problems in, in America today. We have broken homes. We have fathers that have turned their hearts to other things. We have kids that have been left to self-develop. And uh, we need a scalable model that reflects family health as a part of what God is doing. The third thing is it, if a dynasty is built, it uh, reflects a growing influence. I don't know of anything more envied than a healthy family. You know, I know, I know people of great wealth and they, they have great wealth, but they have a miserable family, broken family, uh, a family that is at odds with e each other and they would give huge amounts of wealth to have a healthy family. It, it, if it is the most envied thing when people look and say, I wish I could have a marriage like yours. I wish I could have kids like yours. I wish I could have grandkids like yours. I wish I could replicate in my life what I see in your life. This is why a, a dynasty, a replicable a, a dynasty for our life is so critical. So I would say to you today, if, if you're a first generation believer, you say, well, I don't have any of this, Tom. I mean, my parents weren't believers. I, I've, I'm older and I came to... Uh, came to believe in Jesus Christ at a later age and I've kind of messed up some stuff. Good news. It can start today. You, you can start today with whatever you've experienced. You can draw the line and say, today I'm purposing to build a godly dynasty in my heritage. And if you are fortunate enough to have had parents who were believers and they sought to give you the best kind of influence, you can embrace what they have given you and say, I'm going to take it, I'm going to raise it to a new level in my generation, and I'm going to impart it, if God allows me to, to my children so that they can raise it to a new generation. A dynasty will be established. Now, when I talk about this, you might say, well, so how do we do this, Tom? I, I believe it. I think I see God speaks in generational terms. How can we do this? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
I'm going to give you three things this morning of what are a part of the process of building a dynasty. And here's the first thing. It begins with one. A dynasty begins with one person. See, if we, if we look at it, we say, well, that's really cool. I mean, one chapel as a church family is going to build a dynasty, and it's just going to be the group. No, the group isn't going to build anything. The sum total of the individuals will build something. Your family as a group isn't going to build anything. You as an individual are going to build something that begins to have generational impact. It begins with one. And so um, what your family will embrace, the dynasty that you will establish uh, will begin, will be, be determined by what you live and you transfer to your kids. Your dynasty is going to be determined by what you live and transfer to your kids. It, it's a principle that, that I call the principle of transference. And this, this principle is simply this. You can only transfer to another person what you have and live yourself. And, and it's, it should be one of the greatest motivators for our, the vibrancy of our relationship with God if we want to, to pass something on that is a heritage, something that is a godliness, a, of character, of, of moral value, of purpose and identity that has eternity in mind, we have to find it for ourselves. We have to live it for ourselves to be able to pass it on uh, to the next generation. And so here, here's a question that I have. Oh, let me, let me read. 2 Timothy and uh, chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We have to contend for our faith, our, our relationship with God, and one of the, the benefits as we do that is we pass it to the next generation. So here's the question I have for us today related to this is, what do you believe? Your life is being lived on a, a, a foundation of things that you believe. Your behavior is predicated on things that you, you believe and hold. And you might say, well, I, uh, I've, I've never written them down. I don't know. I just live. Well, can I challenge you today to start thinking through what what you're believing, because you are acting based on beliefs. And part of the work of the church is to insert, to identify, and to give you a system of beliefs that will impact your behavior so that you begin to reflect what needs to be passed from one generation to the next. The question is, what do you believe? One day, I, I, in my quiet time, my kids were getting older they were getting up to the age where, you know, in their teens, they were starting to head off to college. And I was thinking, man, I, it's gone so fast. I mean, I, I, I wonder if I've done the right thing. I wonder if I've prepared them for all the things that, are, that they're going to encounter in life. And, and then I started asking myself, well, what, what, do I, what do I want to make sure that I've imparted to them? And so I started writing some things down and I was, well, I want to make sure that they do do this and they don't do that and they got to watch out for this. And I thought, wow, that, that list is going to be long. 
And, and, and so then I kind of scratched all that and I thought, well, what is it? What are the principles? What are the things that I've tried to live my life by? And, I, and in about 15 minutes, I came up with five things that are just the reflection of my life. These are the things I want to live my life by. These are the things that I've, I've tried to live my life by. And so I took my, my list of five and I went home and I said, honey, uh, what do you think? Does this reflect how we've tried to live our life? And I said, do we need to add anything? Do we need to change any wording? You know, help me with this. And she, she, we got it to a place. She said, this, this reflects you and me, Tom. This is, this is what we believe. If you don't have a part of, of that, if you haven't ever sat down to think, now what do I believe? Why do I act that way? Why don't I do this? It's based on a system of beliefs. And I'm going to tell you more about that in in just a second, but it starts with one. You can start it today. You can, you can begin and change regardless of what you've experienced in your family life. You can change it today. And all it takes is a decision that says, God, I'm going to embrace you and your work, and I'm going to live it out in my life, and I'm going to transfer it to those that are a part of my heritage. Here's the second thing. Uh, a dynasty does not happen by accident. You know, we're, we're, as parents, we're familiar with the passages of parenting that are a part of the Bible. Uh, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Most of us who have kids, we're well aware of the promise of that. So we're imparting things to our kids, saying, Lord, I just hope that when they get old, they, they're not going to depart from this stuff. Well, here's, here's another one, Proverbs 22 and verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. Well, that ought to be good news to some of us parents. You know, why do they keep doing this? Oh, yeah, that, that foolishness, it's bound up in their heart. But the rod of correction will drive it from them, is what Proverbs says. Hallelujah. When, when it relates to the church, here's what Ephesians says. Ephesians 4 and verse 11. He says that God gave some to the church to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we come to uh, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If we're going to impart things from one generation to the next, it begins with us, and it's going to take a diligent effort. It doesn't happen by accident. So training is the, the term that the Bible uses, but what do we mean when we talk about training? Uh, training is a, a preparation that has an intended outcome. So here's what I was thinking when I was thinking about this. With training, I'm... I'm I'm a, I'm a wannabe athlete. I played uh, different sports through high school. I've continued to try and be active. And I'm, I'm, uh, I respect people who are uh, who diligent in their training effort. And these are the things that I've observed. With training, we are proactively prepared and instructed. Training proactively prepares us to deal with circumstances that we are going to encounter. Without training... We are reactive, panicky, and unstable in change. With training, we are developed and defined in skill and in service. 
without training, we are left to self-develop. I have a friend, uh, and he, he says that when he went to his dad to ask him things, no matter what he asked him, his dad would say, I don't know. Dad, what do you, uh, what do you think I should do about this? I don't know. Well, what do, you think, uh, what do you think about this? I don't know. Now, I'm thinking as he's telling me this that his dad wants him to learn, but he missed an opportunity for training. His son had to self-develop because his dad didn't understand if you're going to impart your values, it has to be by strategic effort. With training comes focus and purpose. Without training, there's a lack of restraint. With training, we produce our fullest results. Without training, we're not prepared. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says this, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, that's what it said, sorry. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. When, when I think of training and the issue of training, effective training it involves several things. It involves conditioning. It involves instruction. It involves drills and practice. And it involves coaching. Earlier this year, my youngest daughter, Lindsay, came up to me and said, Dad, I want to run a half marathon. Would you run it with me? And I'm 59 years old. And I thought, sure, yeah, I'll do that. I hadn't run, you know, seriously in a while. But sure, I'll do that. And she said, okay, I'll find us a half marathon to run. And then we got to start training. And I said, you bet we got to start training. And so about five or six weeks ago, maybe eight weeks ago, uh, we started running. We started running one mile at a time, and we bumped it uh, each week. And we ran five days a week, rested two. Uh, each week we, ran, we bumped it another mile. We're, we're now up to three, over three miles uh, as our process and our training run. Uh, we, we, our first training run, run we did last weekend, five and a half miles. All for conditioning. It's a, it's a strategic plan. And I already know what Timothy says. That, that's bodily discipline isn't good for much. It's spiritual discipline that really matters. So why would we give attention in the measure that we do to physical discipline and neglect spiritual truth? We have to be strategic if we're going to pass on the, the heritage of godliness to our kids. It's, it, it takes conditioning. It takes instruction. It takes drills and practice and coaching. Okay, so here's what I mean by that. Um, each one of our kids, and I could tell a story on each one of them, uh, but I'm going to pick on our, our oldest daughter, our second child, Lisa, this morning. When she was about 15 years old, like kids do, she said, Dad, I think I know what car I want. And I said, oh, really? As if it was an entitlement. <laughs> you know, oh, really? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, honey, we, we have to pray about this. You know, God provides w what we need. And, uh, but I'm glad. Tell me, tell me what you're wanting, and we'll, we'll pray and ask God to provide. Well, she had this real slick, late model, you know, neat car picked out. 
And I said, wow, that's really great. Well, well, we'll just ask God to provide. And shortly thereafter, maybe a week or two, uh, Jan's mom called and her, her dad, Jan's grandfather, uh, was not going to be driving anymore. And he had a, I don't remember the year, uh, a Pontiac two-tone AM radio. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about there. And it, they would be glad to give it to us since they knew that Lisa was about to start driving. So I said to Lisa, honey, guess what? God has provided. And she said, what? And I said, grandma called and great grandpa's is not going to be driving anymore and he's going to give you his car. And she goes, no, 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 I, I will not. I said, you're going to turn down God's provision? She said, dad, dad, that terrible, oh, dad, no. It's like it was the worst thing I could do for her. And what we found out in the mix of that is there was some identity issues in stuff. And so I said, well, honey, um, I believe this is what we've been praying, and this is what God's provided. Now, I, I can just tell you, it wasn't that we couldn't afford to get her a, a car, a nicer car. It wasn't, it wasn't that we, we didn't want her to have something that she'd be proud of. It became an issue of training in her life. And we have to be strategic in the way that we develop those that are underneath us. It's not always, it's not the, the effort to provide the best thing that we can possibly provide. It's to say, God, how do we train for what you're doing? I'm always, I'm tempted to go on to the next point just because I'm, I'm running on time. But for those of you who are interested, let me finish the story, okay? So she got this car. She, she, when she got it, she said, I will never, I, I, I'm never going to take my friends. I will, no one will ever see me in this car. <laughs> said, okay. You know, and, and uh, slowly through the first year of her driving, she changed from no one will ever see me to okay, I'll take my siblings someplace. But whenever she went to a friend's house, she'd park blocks away and walk <laughs> so nobody could see. And then finally it was like, oh, well, who cares? About the time she was, Coming up on her 17th birthday, it was like, who cares? And it, God just settled into our heart. She passed the test. You, she now no longer sees herself as connected to a thing. The things won't have her. She can have the things. And so on her 17th birthday, we gave her a car, the car that was her dreams. And it was the funnest thing ever. To see her heart when she responded uh, when we gave her the, the car. It, God had done a work. But it had to be done through training. Does that make sense? Here's the third thing. Um, a dynasty reflects vision, purpose, and mission. Now, Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. Uh, Proverbs 22 29, do you see a man skilled in his work? He'll stand before kings. He'll not stand before obscure men. There's a, a process. Uh, we, kind of at times we want to say, well, just God's in charge and whatever happens will happen. Well, that, that's true. 
we, there's nothing we can do that will uh, supersede the sovereignty of God's work in our life. No, no doubt about that. And yet, we, we need vision and purpose and mission. So I, I mentioned to you uh, that day I sat down to write these things out about uh, my family. What am I trying to impart to my kids? Here's the five things that I wrote down that day that became a part of, of what we uh, sought to impart to our kids. First, uh, this, this uh, became the expression of the Lane family mission statement. And uh, it, it, it says, we exist to, number one, influence as many people as we can for God and his kingdom. Number two, live, uh, number two, love our spouse and fulfill our marriage vows for a lifetime. Number three, discover, embrace, and fulfill God's will for our lives. Number four, provide our, uh, for our family and enjoy the abundance that God liberally supplies. And number five, serve God and people through active involvement in a local congregation of Christian believers. Purpose is defined and intentional. We, if we have purpose, if we're going to impart and, and develop a dynasty, we're going to have to impart it with some level of diligent understanding. And it begins with us. It begins with one, something that we transfer. It happens through training and, and a, a, a disciplined exercise of work that imparts our values. But they have to be defined. It's a mission, a, a a strategy and a purpose that has to be defined. So I defined these as I mentioned to you early, and I went earlier, and I went to each one of our kids as they got old enough, uh, you know, about to leave our home. And I said, "This is what Mom and I have, have tried to model for you. We've, when you were younger, we enforced it by our decision processes, and now I want to ask you: Do you want this for your life? If we had time to unpack these a little more, they're written so broadly that there's flexibility in them. There's, it, it's not saying what you can or can't do. It's saying what you want the intention of your life to produce. And so uh, that, that gives opportunity to say, so uh, explain that to me. Defend this behavior in your life according to these mission purposes. And uh, with every one of our kids, we had those issues. We'd, we would say to them, there, there's this behavior in your life. Now, you told me that you, you want this. Mom and I have modeled this. I want you to explain how this behavior reflects that value. And what it became for parenting is not a you can't do, you will be, you and, and me legislating something on them. It became an issue of accountability where I'm, I'm saying, you told me this is what you want. I told you this is what I, what I am, what I seek to live. You can hold me accountable to this. I'm going to hold you accountable. And it, be, it then put us in the context of a team. We're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to build the same thing and, and replicate something as a family heritage from one generation to the next. Does that make sense? It starts with one. It takes diligent effort, and it has to come with purpose, strategy, with definition and understanding as a part of the process. So let me just ask you if you would to bow your heads, and I'm going to do something that we do all the time at, at Gateway, and that's, uh, I'm just going to ask you to take a moment with the Holy Spirit and say, God, what, 
What are you saying to me through this message? Maybe there's some behavior in your life that you go, this, this won't get me where I really want to go. This, I've been thinking it needs to change, and, and the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me about that today. Or maybe you, you've intellectualized something, but you're not living it. There's no practicing of what you're trying to impart. God says, what you believe isn't measuring up with what you're living. The Holy Spirit's saying, come on, step step this way into what, what I'm calling you to do. Or maybe it's just a simple thing being said today, you know, you need to be more strategic. Take a minute and write down the things that are in your heart. God will give you creative wisdom, creative understanding, revelation of the things that you really believe that you can articulate that will become a part of the heritage of your family. Maybe it's something entirely different than that. The Holy Spirit's able to speak, and if He's speaking something to you, would you say yes to God today? Father, I thank you for every person every person here today. The Lord, so so unique and independent before you. And I'm asking you, God, to do a mighty work in our lives. Reveal yourself to us, and God, would you take the individual work, our individual responses, and enable us, God, to begin to build a generational reflection of who you are. And Lord, I pray that as we individually do that, that your reflection will be mighty in one chapel. That one chapel as a body of believers will pass on and have a multi-generational impact because of your work individually in the families, the individuals that are represented in this place. Thank you, God, for your work. Thank you, Lord, for the sovereignty of your uh, plans and purposes that are being fulfilled in these days. And I pray, Lord, for every person that says yes to you, that you you would release power and impact and resource, provision, that God, your hand would be upon everyone in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. It's been great to be with you.